The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as entertainment and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't have some destination that it ought to arrive at. This is Keep Your Hat On, a show by three nerdy nobodies and one nerdy kind of somebody about nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is brought to you by the Narrow Band Broadcast Network, NBBN. The focus is on you. By PodSquadPDX.com, painless podcasting, and by the kind support of KYHO fans everywhere through Patreon. Patreon, create on your own terms. Coming up next, Chris and I chat with Ty about what else, COVID, as the bastard bug bites one of our own. Then, the return of the no longer lonesome stranger. Chris and I welcome back Dr. Mark and spend an inordinate amount of time talking about furniture, philosophy, and flooring? Anyway, as our dear Mr. Brumage and Carlos the Wonderfluff currently wing their way to sunny Arizona, it's up to me to say, let's get whatever the hell this is started. Here's me, Ty, eventually Dr. Mark, and like that Hot pocket stain on your favorite Mandalorian t-shirt that never quite comes out all the way, Chris. And welcome back. This is Keep Your Hat on the show where hell even we don't know where we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott along with my good friends, Ty, Robert, Anthony. See, you did it to me again. What? How did I disappear? Louder. Louder. Hey, how are you? Perfect, thank you. All right. And, and Chris Vacano. Howdy. Yeah, well, okay, now you blue level, so oh, no. this is like herding a bunch of drunk monkeys. Oh, my God. I, I was just following instructions. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they all say. And then the next thing you know, we have war crimes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Ty's going to be with us here for a little bit. He's got to run off and do something. We are not entirely Dr. Mark peterson lists. He will be with us later. But uh, how's everybody been for the last couple of weeks? I will start off by saying COVID's entered our bubble. COVID's entered the family bubble. My partner, Heather's mother, wound up. And get this. You want to talk about a kick in the pants? She got Omicron from a birthday hug. Oh. Oh, goodness. How wrong is that? That's that just bites. like insult I mean, on top of literal uh, injury. That that's just that's like that's like lemon juice on a paper cut, right? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I would I would agree that that's we're up there with that, yeah. yeah. But um, she's doing really fine, and mom, if you're listening, I love you, and you know everybody here says hey and and yeah, get hey, well. Ma. Just keep drinking tea and watching, you know, Poirot. <laughs> I would say Matlock, but I don't think that's a fair reference anymore. Um, but no, she's doing really well. She was vax and boosted. And um, yeah, it was just one of those things. Her birthday. How is she? How is her symptoms? She's getting away with it easy, Good. which is fabulous news for a 77 year old woman. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. A friend of hers came over to give her a uh, uh, happy birthday something, something. Her birthday is on uh, Groundhog Day, so it was February 2nd. And it might have been February 1st or February 2nd, but this friend came over, gave her a hug, and then I, I believe it was that was on February 1st. And on February 2nd, mom got a message saying, I'm positive for COVID. You should check yourself. And mom already had a scratchy throat. Oh, no. And we had to harangue her a bit. You know, because I shipped her up a bunch of rapid tests before she came down uh, for Christmas, because that that's that was the admission ticket to Christmas was everybody right. do a rapid test. You know? Yep. Absolutely. And she was like, oh, it's just a cold. It's just that. And Heather and I are both on the other side of the phone screaming, mom, take the damn test. <laughs> and she took the damn test and we got the damn call saying she's got the damn COVID. Um, but she's doing really well. Um, nothing of any concern. She had a really mild fever and the big thing that we've been finding is body aches, but I want to take this moment, uh, to talk to you guys and our listeners about something that this is now the third occurrence in my bubble. Uh, I mean, I've had friends who've had COVID. I've had nobody in my family who's have had COVID that I know of. Uh, as far as my brothers and sisters go, I know that uh, at least one of my sisters has has had COVID. But as far as symptoms and particularly lingering systems, symptoms, again, I'm a professional talker. That's what you do. Um, <laughs> as far as persistent <laughs> symptoms, something that's really starting to come up in my circle of people is vertigo. Really? Um, my buddy Mark, who who you both know. Um, he got Omicron about a, about six weeks ago. He said it was the worst body ache he's ever had that didn't involve being beat up in a back alley. Um, and, but and that's something that he's always doing. Exactly. Mark's just a <laughs> He's a baller that way. You know? Right. Um, not. Uh, so <laughs> he, um, he, when he was getting better, he was just like, oh yeah, my body aches are okay. I don't have a temperature anymore, but I've been having the sp- spins really bad and i was like how long he's like two days I'm like, two days with the whirly bastards yeah that, you know that reminds me of my wow 20s. yeah but, um, right yeah come to find out later that another friend of mine um who had uh actually had gotten delta back in the day um <laughs> was was saying um that suddenly out of nowhere and they had they had delta back uh, I think it was spring of 21 and suddenly they're having vertigo uh, just out of the blue. They may have gotten reinfected again. Well, that's a distinct possibility. And thanks for bringing that up, Ty, that, um, you know, with Omicron, we know that people who have had Delta or Alpha or any other variant previous to Omicron can be reinfected with Omicron and not only reinfected, you can get a breakthrough case being fully vaccinated after having had uh, COVID in the first place. You can wind up getting reinfected with Omicron. Omicron does not give a shit. Right. Omicron don't do that. But it's interesting that you say this about the vertigo, because I, I, I got to tell you, I was um, I was trying to take care of uh, some some medical benefits that I have um, or trying to take advantage of them, not take care of them. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to get a massage therapist in that was really close to me um and, and get get connected with that and she had to call that 
uh, appointment off for that very reason. She had gotten the Omicron earlier um, uh, before I, I signed up for services and she was over it, but she canceled because of vertigo. Oh, see? And I mean, if you think about it just on the surface level, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Your inner ear is one of the most sensitive organs that you have in your body. Those mm -hmm. tiny little air hairs in that little pouch full of fluid. And then you introduce something like systemic inf inflate inflation. And inflammation. Then you introduce something like <laughs> systemic inflammation. Inflammation, inflation. It's kind of the same thing. A little bit. Yeah. Thanks for the backup. Yeah. I appreciate that hand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, it just points back to what we here at KYHO and most good medical professionals have been saying, and that is, okay, let's say that this is nothing but a bad flu type thing. You still don't want to get it because we don't know what the long-term ramifications are. And now right. two and some years in, we're starting to see this. People are having these weird anomalous symptoms from out of the blue that they can't explain. And I, I think and, this was a, a, a reason what you're talking about right now was just a, 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 a reason why it was so easy for me to just go, yep, <laughs> I'm going to go get the vaccine. And the reason of that is, is because with this flu, even though one year I had been, uh, uh, I had gotten the flu vaccination, I ended up getting influenza B right. and it sent me to the hospital. And on top of that, my partner ended up in the hospital multiple days. Um, the influenza B is no joke. To be clear though, you both have respiratory conditions. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and again, I also want to caution, uh, very strongly against causation and correlation here. Um, you know, I'm not a medical professional, neither is Chris, nor is Ty, nor is Dr. Mark. However. Well, that's just it. I mean, it, it jumped over that vaccination, right? That flu mm -hmm. shot that I got. Right. Uh, right. Uh, I've had the flu. I've gotten the flu vaccination and caught in the flu, but it's never been this bad. This was like the big, heavy influenza. Yeah. Right? And, and that's just it. Right. Influenza B is a different beast. And so when it came to this vaccine for this particular virus, this, this Corona you, thing. You were just running around with your sleeves rolled up, yeah, looking around for a needle. It, well, it didn't take me long to run the odds and figure out which, which the best decision was. Yeah. Right? Well, and I think too, you know, I, I mean, since the beginning of the pandemic, we've been talking openly, uh, not just us, but we as a society and, and the medical community and the research community has been talking openly about long COVID, yeah. you know, long-term, you know, post- Post-recovery COVID stuff. Uh, yeah, post-recovery side effects, long-term damage, things of that nature. Uh, and it's always been with a view that, yeah, this is likely to happen. We don't know what it's going to be. And a lot of that comes from the fact that, again, you know, we need to remember that COVID is a disease that results from an infection with the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And in that name is the term SARS. SARS is the parent family of these viruses. And of course, we all remember SARS from, you know, shortly after the millennium. Mm -hmm. What we knew about this type of virus is that people who have had SARS have had lingering issues. 
They're slightly different than the ones that we're seeing now. But what we know as a baseline is that SARS as a respiratory infection causes damage in places where you wouldn't normally look. And so that's why so many of us have been saying, don't, yeah, you might survive it, don't get it, because we don't know what these long-lasting ramifications will be. Yeah, I mean, we could realistically move into a phase where there is a condition known as chronic COVID. Yeah, and, yeah or yeah, long haulers, uh, they'll come up with some name for it, and, but I imagine you're absolutely right. And I'm curious walking back to the to the vertigo is that showing up in any of the materials that are being released as a common symptom that they're seeing now what i discovered when my third person got a hold of me saying you know dizziness uh persistent dizziness mm -hmm. i did a thing and yeah it's definitely a thing it's rare but what i'm interested in watching is that up until recently it was rare. Mm -hmm. But now with Omicron, I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing the prevalence of things like persistent vertigo or uh, orientation issues where um, it's a kind of vertigo where it's not that you're dizzy. It's that your brain isn't able to interpret which direction you're in. But, um, you know, Ty, when you wound up having your influenza b did you discover any lingering issues did you experience any lingering issues no not really the, for me um for me it was i caught that. you speaking up there i caught you catching yourself and speaking louder thank you <sighs> not a problem <laughs> for, <laughs> for me what it was for me what it was is it it was about five days uh, delirious in bed. Ugh. Uh, the lingering side effect was the weight loss. I think I, I lost like 15, 20 pounds in that week. That is not a diet you want to go on. No, uh, it's not fun yeah. at all. Was that because you couldn't keep food down? I, I wasn't hungry or I couldn't keep food down or, and, and I just kind of mm -hmm. just walked away and put my hands in the air and went, screw it. I'll just go to bed and I'll just buddy up to this. And oh, well, I'm guessing five days ma later. Yeah. Massive dehydration too. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, exactly. I got I've got a wife that's a, a nurse. So the fluids get pushed on me whether I'm pushing the fluids. Or whether right. you whether you like it or not. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a case of uh happy wife saved my life. Tell you what, folks, we're gonna be right back on the other side of this break. This is the Narrow Band Broadcast Network. You are listening to Keep Your Hat On. I'm Andrew Scott, along with Chris Vacano, and saying goodbye for this episode to Ty Robert Anthony and We'll be coming back with Dr. Mark in just a second. Don't go anywhere. Hey, everybody. Michael, your stalwart announcer here, the voice of the Keep Your Hat On podcast. We really hope you're enjoying the shows we put out every month and the bonus goofiness we try and throw in. If you do, we'd really appreciate your support. While we'd love it if you could help us out with a monthly donation by heading over to patreon.com nbbn, please don't forget that you can also support us by telling your friends, relatives, the hot Amazon delivery guy, hell, your potted fern about the show and do the like, click, and subscribe thing. That's free. 
and it helps us out more than you might suspect. We just want to keep putting something good out into this bananas world at this extra bananas time, and we want you along for the ride. No matter what, thanks so much for audio visualizing. Now, let's get back to the show. Now we recording. Hey, stranger, how you be? Okay. Yeah. Is okay? Hey, yeah. No, we're fine. Everything's fine here. Nobody's on fire. Everything's good. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, um, hey Dr. Mark. <laughs> I have a spectacularly bad headphone in here. Let me try this. Let me try it on. Gotcha. Oh, much better. That's better. Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. Well, you learned which ones to throw away. Yeah, the ones I got on the plane. Oh, <laughs> no. Those aren't I have, real. I know. I have weird ears, see, so it's... Um, yeah. Uh, I don't, they, my, usually, they don't stay in. I need, like, the kind that wrap around, you know, the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you remember back in the day when Airline's idea <sighs> of headphones was literal tubes that oh, go up to your <laughs> and there's a, there's a, there was a little speaker in every hand, yeah. uh, every armrest and that's how you listen to shit on yeah. the airplane yeah I, it was a little bit like the tin can with the string thing mm-hmm. uh, they were uh, tin can and string were better i always felt like, <laughs> like did you ever the, do that was, by the way did oh, you ever do I the did. string oh yeah you know, yeah i'm still i still remember when we tried this out in my backyard with like about like literally like 50 or 60 feet of string and like oh, yeah. two and like two big dixie cups sure and we just thought well this is the dumbest thing ever this never worked and, and it then it shocking. blows your mind it was like what what else I, could we I do i grew i grew up <laughs> with a uh there were two two farmhouses where we lived and our the guy who owned the our our house owned both oh. and the uh, the other house was about eh, i want to say it was about 200 250 yards away. Yeah. And the bathroom of our house faced the house of our neighbors. <laughs> okay. And uh, at, at one point in time, when I was very little, like five or six, um, the two families decided we were going to test this out. Oh, and yeah. so, yeah, um, the, the absolute magic happens when instead of using string, you use high test fishing line. Oh, baby, yeah. That oh, would be the great. transmission is crystal clear. <laughs> oh, I love it. Marconi would have been proud. It was- I wonder. You know, this is a little bit like um, putting eavesdropping cameras into bathrooms. Now it's in a, just like a can. You know, yeah. this is a 1930s cartoon. <laughs> yeah. A mom comes yeah. home and finds we a were, can with a string we were, in the bathroom. We were creeping Ooh. on each other. We were creeping on each other a long time. I mean, you can remember the. You know, the, how many? God bless this how many, podcast. Uh, how right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh. How many uh, sitcoms did we watch where somebody's listening through a wall with a with glass? The glass, with the glass. Same principle oh, works. And By I, the way, I should probably jump in here and say, welcome back, Dr. Mark. Where you been? The oh, podcast hi, everybody. Missed you. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I only see two other hats here. We're missing a hat. Yeah. Ty had uh, a one o'clock that he had to go deal with and you had things to deal with up until now. So this episode is just a, 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 a wonderful, wacky quilt worth of oh, hats. Oh, quilt worth. Amazing yeah. match. That should be a whole, that should be, that's a whole new word, quilt worth. I have been, um, well, thank you for asking. Um, I have been trying to move. <laughs> I would comment on the bareness of your walls, but that's the only thing that I see on that camera shot anyway. Oh, here, so. yeah. Well, oh, yeah. well, so you, you can see. Oh, 
Oh, it started, it oh. started there. It has started, I, has started there. there. And then it's like, there's still ukuleles here, but those are going to, those will be well, moved they'll into go the, last. In a ritualized procession. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I have a couple of items like this. I have a, years ago, we were buying, we were, we were buying furniture at Colders, which is always just terrible because it's like, okay, what sort of tacky Ugh. middle-class bourgeois stuff are we yeah. going to find? Okay. But we're in there and I'm walking through it and it's, it's got all the standard issue, um, overstuffed suburban uh, dream world uh, furniture p- packed through there. And it's, it's all horrible, you know, but yeah. in a, in a, over in a corner, <laughs> I should, I packed it already. I, I should put was it on the things. one good piece. No, they no, had. no, no. It was no. a piece of decor and I'll, I'll have to dig, I, I'll dig it out when I get into the new place. Try to remember, we'll try to remember to do this. Gotcha. Um, it's, it's a, it was a, a big bronze, uh, about, oh, about yay big, about the size of a big pumpkin of a monkey sitting down holding a large glass bowl. Wait, I remember seeing that. I've, yeah, I've had, I put it in, up on Facebook, periodically, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I have this long term, so I bought that sucker, and it's like the monkey goes with me <laughs> everywhere now. And um, the reason for this is that that I I use I've used this this um, uh, parable in my classes uh, from the beginning of time about yes, catching have. monkeys with oranges that yep. thing. And uh, Chris, you know this thing where you get a large uh, a large clay pot. So in China, this is in southern China where they eat monkeys. You get a large clay pot with a uh, a small hole at the top, just big enough to fit an orange through. Right. And one well, just big enough to fit a monkey hand yeah. through as it reaches right. in. And so <laughs> right. when you put right. the jar out, you know, you show there are monkeys all over the rooftops there. And you would show the monkeys the oranges and they'd all freak out. And you, you put the orange in the jar and you walk away, the monkeys tear ass down to get the orange. And one poor monkey gets hold of the thing. And now the monkey is trapped because it can't, the size of the orange plus its yeah. hand right. it yep. won't release it. And I, I thought about this. So I've been, as some of you, you probably have know this is I've been trolling. I've been trolling the trolls. A certain, a certain side uh, of the political yes, spectrum. On, on the Wisconsin public radio page. Which is the other side of the political it, spectrum. Well, frankly. you know, I, I know people who work in it. It's really funny. And they are, they're dedicated old school news people, right? You know, but of course yeah, that turns but, out the truth is like, is political now. Yeah. Insufficiently truthy, it turns out. Well, anyway, um, I think about this a lot, the monkey, because uh, the people get furious or angry. You know, we hold on to beliefs long after that we find out that they're not true. Yeah. Which is interesting to me, right? We all do this, you know? Yeah. But um, uh, if they would just let go of, you know, if they, they're worried about getting their brains eaten, you know, by the chef, if they would just let go of the orange, everything would be okay. But they don't even know they're holding on to the thing anymore. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, right. So the monkey goes in. The monkey goes in next week. Is where that's where I'm going. <laughs> he goes into the new house next week. That's my that's sort of one of my mascots. It should be. It should be in this order. It should be a second line procession of the ukuleles, mm-hmm. followed by you walking with the monkey with Boomer at your side. That's pretty much. I want. Yeah. I can't remember the walking through the streets like. All hallow the gourd. The th- <laughs> I was thinking of I was thinking of the Lion King. You know, Simba. <laughs> um, but, while, uh, while Elton John plays in the background. Yeah, so you know, um, yeah. moving is always fun, and it's really been weird to, to do it uh, now uh, because uh, I'm I'm technically like I qualify as old now, which is like really interesting. 
But well, not only that, you built up an actual history there in that property. Oh, so yeah, there's got to yeah. be some mixed feelings. Um, it's really interesting. I had a long conversation uh, with the house about it. Good. Because the house has been terrifically good to us and to me personally here in West Bend. It's been- Sure. If, if I had to live in West Bend, this is the one place I really wanted to a live. great little house. Oh, and it's in a great little tuckaway neighborhood that nobody knows about. And it's up here in Barton. Which is where, yeah. which is shout out to Barton, yeah, man. Wisconsin, which is a place that technically doesn't exist anymore. No, and they got they erased it. What about ten years I, no, ago? No, no, no. Yeah, in the fifties, West Bend. Uh, oh, annexed, was it that long yeah, ago? Yeah, was. I think it was nineteen fifty three. And they just they already had the sign in the ground, so they said we're going to keep on referring to this little enclave as Barton, even though it's not really a thing. When I got here, the old time when I moved up here from from I mean when I say when I say like moved up here, I mean like half a mile. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> up here from West Bend, the old timers here are still pissed off about the annexation. And they'd say, you can imagine, it's like, oh, you know, those people down there in West Bend, you know, what's up with them anyway? Oh, those city guys. Oh, you, they, oh. they think a lot about themselves, you know. Yeah, and with their fancy <laughs> coffee shops. You know, that that reminds me a lot of uh, an old neighborhood I lived in in Seattle, uh, huh. which is called Ballard. Yeah. And, uh, and Ballard. Even the it's not even just the old timers. The the young folks are 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 still pissed off about the annexation, which happened oh. over fifty See, years yeah, ago. There you go. Yeah. And and in fact, there's a whole movement. I mean, it's very tongue in cheek, but there's a whole movement with I, I've got the baseball cap and there are bumper <laughs> stickers that Bring say back free, Ballard. No, they say free Ballard. <laughs> free Ballard. So well. Tell you what, folks, we're going to take a very quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to be discussing furniture. Maybe. On the Narrowband Broadcast Network, I'm Andy, that's Dr. Mark, that's Chris. We'll be right still. Yeah, we'll be right back. Yep. You're tuned to NBBN. The Narrowband Broadcast Network. The focus is on you. Um, hey, um, so uh, two quick things, uh, two things, one for both of you and then one for one of you. I'll start with the latter. Uh, Mark, are you familiar with a guy named David Graber? Oh. He's a writer. Uh, let's see. How did he start out? He got bounced out of Yale. That's a good start. He, Right, exactly. Usually, um, well, uh, kind of the whole Cornell West vibe. Oh, with this guy. Okay, I've not, I've not read him. He's re- that's that's really familiar. Let me look here. Okay, so he wrote uh, the big book that I guess he wrote that got a lot of tractions was Debt: The First Five Thousand Years. Um, oh no, I know this guy. Yeah, okay. he's the anthropologist, isn't he? And he just wrote this I new book. I think he might have been. He just wrote this new book that's causing, you know, out in the public press that's like, make it's like, oh, this is the best thing. It's like the history of time and space or something, right? Yeah, the the new book is called The Dawn of Everything, that's, A New yeah. History of Humanity. The, well, in, interestingly, ahead. Heather's dad got a hold of both me and Chris today hmm. saying this guy's blown his lid off. He got this book. Yeah. And, and what really floored me is he tipped his hand in that he listens to the podcast. And he, David he Graeber me, listens to this podcast? 
No, Heather's dad does. Oh, um, and and so <laughs> okay. uh, that would be really cool if David Graber listened. Well, he's, yeah, he's being that he's be been dead for yeah, a year yeah, and a half. Yeah. Difficult. Well, I don't know. Maybe our signal goes out that far. The internet's an amazing thing. But um, yeah, he mentioned. He said because uh, I said I definitely will look into this. Thanks for this pop. It's right up my alley. And then he said, thought it might be. How about you KYHO guys reading it? Or is that too focused? I wouldn't want to mess with your structured anti-structure. But um, <laughs> we could do you that. Know, we've, been, we've been talking about doing the book thing. And I think this is actually a great topic and, and, and place for us to do it. Um, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't read it, but, but the, 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 I guess it's just out. The word on the street is that, I mean, and it's had a kind of uh, Jordan Peterson impact on people. But that's what worries me. Is this everybody <clears throat> climbing onto a band bandwagon they don't actually understand? Oh, well, it from what I've been reading in the like, you know, the historians and the anthropologists, other ones are yeah. talking. This is just the guy's just talking out of his ass. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I I would love to have a look at it. I have no idea yet. That's just sort of what I've been hearing from like yeah, the professionals. I, I mean, that I'm, I know. Al- I'm always a fan of making up my own mind, even no matter what the professionals oh, for say. True. But I, yeah. I, I do it in a way that m- reminds myself that, oh, by the way, you're listening to professionals, but you're not one of them. So, yeah. you know, caveat emptor that way. It's a big hopper, well, too. It's like, it's like, it's, it's yeah. really a monster book, I think. Well, too. we can well, go and- chunk by chunk. We don't got to all say, I mean, I don't think any of us, except maybe you have. Once you get settled in, you'll be able to kick back yeah, and sure. relax for but a anyway, minute. But no, I, let's do it. Let's do it. I think yeah. it'd be great. Okay. All right. Ty was down with the idea as well. Yeah. So the, and, the, and to, to that point of the reviews you saw, I mean, as as we all know, academic groupthink is something that never happens. Yeah. <laughs> if you come in and you make a wave. You know, especially... When I, when, I, when I first read the reviews about the content of the book, it's like, I thought, oh, you know, that sounds right. And it's like, it's funny because I read, I read history through the lens of the history of science and technology, right? Because that's right. what I, stu- mm-hmm. I spent time studying all the tech going yeah. back to um, Ptolemy, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, oh, Mesopotamian paleoastronomy. <laughs> oh, hey, man. And, and the Antikytherian mechanism. Ooh, listen to you. Uh, well, you're, you're familiar with that, right? I thought I was. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's the thing that they found off uh, Antikythera in a dive. And it's got like 37 different oh, yeah. moving oh, yeah, gears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they discovered that it's it was able to accurately predict um, sun and moon course and predict yeah. all the um, solar and lunar eclipses up through like the year 3000. Yeah, this is the what this is the thing they had. It was all clunk, clunked up and they had yeah, to actually the just, thing and re- figure it out from that. It was just, my favorite thing is somebody recreated it working out of legos oh, how awesome is that that was that is that is cool when you look at the uh, original uses especially so i you know when i was in graduate school i did this course on the history of science and, and i thought well that'll be interesting i had to do an outside uh, class so i spent a year at victoria college with one other student it's really pretty girl who I hit on relentlessly to no effect. And, it's um, pretty bad when you're uh, when you're having to uh, fight a pool of one, that's right. and you're still not I was getting it. I mean, I was like, I was not an, I was not a jerk about this, but I was, you know, do you want to have coffee and talk now? It's like, and I kept thinking, it's like, well, she's got to be involved with something now. So I don't know, maybe she, I don't know, I don't know, and it was okay, but it, I would always remember that part of it, but. We we walked back through Ptolemy's orbitals, and so we actually had to do the uh, mm. to do the the uh, the geometric analysis that Ptolemy used because Ptolemy used effing Euclidean geometry, yeah, 
to calculate orbits and epicycles. And it's just absolutely staggering and, and completely commonsensical because there's no other way they could do it. It's like taking a stick and using, okay, here's a stick. Yep. This is what I have available. It's mm-hmm. now. How can I figure shit out with this? And literally, it's like sticking it up against like, you know, uh, measurements yeah. and stuff. Now, and he got it to within, what, 500 he, yards? Oh, dear. Uh, 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 he, he was known for precision. I mean, yeah. he, well, he was very good at math. You have to remember that one of the, the one, and this is something that just still kills me. We taught, you know, the, the usual popular version of Copernicus is that one day Copernicus went, oh, my God, wait, the, the sun is at the center, right? Copernicus made no no new observations. All he no. did was look at the math and thought, how can we simplify this? And he just started moving planets around. He moved the sun to the center and things kind of went snap. It was like, oh. so Cop- No, there were so many others before Copernicus that understood heliocentrism, sure. including like, uh, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Heiko Brahe was yeah. already a heliocentrist at the time. Uh, there were, uh, two of the people that, um, that Copernicus was liberally lifting from in the first place. They were all heliocentrists. Mm -hmm. He was just the one that, uh, like you say, he simplifies math, simplified the math and then popularized it and took the credit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't even know if that Mark, he didn't take the the credit credit for it. I'm just, I'm looking ahead here. Copernicus beat out. Uh, Tahe by about a hundred years. Oh, oh, did he? Yeah. All right, I'm remembering that backwards. Yeah, no, it I was, just remember that. And it was more than anything. I remember Tycho Brahe had a fake nose because it was that, the silver one, right? Was that? Uh, him? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah um, exactly. So, but anyway, what's fascinating about that is like you know, with with the math and everything, was like he just fiddled around with the math. He did. There were no new observations. And what's weird is that we, even though that our senses, this is another another whole episode. Our senses tell us that the uh, sun goes around the earth, right? I mean, that's what they'd say. But yeah. none of us believe it because uh, we have a different paradigm in our brain that tells us no. Now it turns out the paradigm is probably true, <laughs> right? I'd, I'd be I'd be careful by saying about saying none of us. <laughs> yeah, there's always going to be some outlier in a basement in his mom's well, house. Well, I think the flat earthers. That's I what mean, I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I, so I remember years ago um, when this really came home to me. I, I was up on a actually I was on a canoe trip up in northern Ontario, and it was that it was the um, it wasn't the original harmonic convergence business, but it was like a year or two after that. So there was this one night. So I it was like it was like August third, and I'm up in um, up in northern Algonquin Park, like two weeks away from a week away from any road, right? And so it's pitch black, and the sun has just gone down. And so I'm looking, and I was a star geek, you know, growing up, and I realized I was able to see Mercury, which I've only ever seen it a few times in my life, right? And there, there it was, boom, little pin. Yeah, bare eyed. I think I've only seen it. Uh, two times maybe it's like it's hard right because you need that good horizon line and stuff and, yeah okay well that and light pollution and yeah. since 19 oh, for true so god so i'm looking at that i look at there's mercury and then oh look there's venus okay and then out here i see mars and then there's jupiter and like the moon is trailing back here it's like i got everything lined up in my mind what i did was i turned i i, I turned this way yeah you know you and go. i kind of oh for our listeners no. because we're we're into a segment of the show again we just got uh the uh 90 degree uh visual reinterpretation of life from peterson right Tipping i leaned over as far as i could to my left and lined up the go. planets the way they had looked yeah. on this on the star chart in my room when i was five that's awesome and i figured out <laughs> i figured out you know which lane they went into okay there's mercury and 
and Venus. Okay, they're they're the closer lanes to the center, and there's Mars out there. So our lane is between those two. And then here's Jupiter out there. So that lane is even further out from Mars. And then the moon is orbiting us, but going through now. All this happened in like a heartbeat. But I realized that, that there was- Love that Satori kind of thing. Yeah, but there thing. was nothing in my experience that should have told me that that's what it really was. Because my all of my experiences say that the earth is sitting still and everything goes around us. Right. And that's pretty oh. interesting, isn't it? Your first experience of a priori versus a posteriori. No, it was not my first experience. That happened. <laughs> well, no, you're right. I was just going to say, I, I was making you be 10 uh, in my mind. I'm sorry. Okay. This was when you were an adult. I will tell you, the so. first one was my freshman year in college when I was introduced to the terms a priori and a posteriori. And I, I asked the professor, I said, so wait a sec. So give me an example of something that's that, that I would know prior to experience. And he said... Well, arithmetic, one and one equals two. I said, well, how did I learn that one and one equals two? It's like, somebody told me that, which means that math should also be a posteriori following experience. No, but you know it a priori. It's like, well, but I, I didn't know it without, I mean, without having somebody tell me. Mm, but what about language when you throw it in there? I had to learn this language idea. by listening to somebody, right? Yep. You, you yeah. know, this this sounds a bit I don't to believe me in, I no like, longer believe in the a priori is what I'm saying here. This yeah, this this reminds me of uh my philosophy 100 class in college. Isn't that awful. Uh yeah. when when we were reading uh my fondest memories of trauma. We had good times though in there, Andy. We, we did. We did. I think it was Plato, and he was talking about how Socrates took a took a slave and had him trace oh, a triangle oh, in the sand. I'm impressed, by the way, that you remember that, Chris. That's awesome. Explains dude. the Pythagorean theorem. Yeah, that's Mino. And, that's in the Mino. Like, yeah, yeah, and he's like, he's like, he's like, yeah, you're a slave. You wouldn't have known that. You wouldn't have been taught math. Oh, doctrine, but yet there it is. The doctrine you, of remembrance. You, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, they did that because, and it's interesting because I've kind of come around to that view. That he remembered it because he lived, he was alive before he was born. And he just, he just, before he was born, he saw all of the truths of the universe. And you, our consciousness is only able to remember so many of them. And he had residual right. remembrance. Residual, yeah, he was yeah. arguing that it was all in there. It's it just needed there. to be teased I will, out. I will agree that for me, a priori, the concept of a priori knowledge mm. really Peter's on that line of woo-woo. Oh, yeah, I think you know, so, too. You know? I think so, too. And I, I don't dismiss it as an ardent agnostic in almost all things. <sighs> um, you know, I've had enough experiences that have made me go, hmm, and enough experiences that made me go, yeah, somebody told me that, and I just forgot that they did. The, the gist of it is, and this is the interesting part to me, is like, uh, um, the psychologists are going to eventually figure this out. But, Psychologists don't listen to our podcast. No, they, no, <laughs> no, no. But uh, they're going to figure this out because the the rough idea is that a priori knowledge works because there's a certain structure to consciousness that requires us to know things in a certain way. Right. And on the one hand, that's like stupefyingly obvious, right? Because it's like, you know, you, you have consciousness. I wonder if consciousness has any impact on how we know the world. It's like, huh, could it? <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, the, yeah and but the a priori thing has these deeper roots, which is, and I'll just give you, this is my, uh, this is the argument I'm making in the book on Aristotle too. Which no, is, we're, getting a, we're getting a sneak peek, people. Which is that, uh, that, so the authority for knowledge, of course, after the Christ, after Christianity overtook, took over the West was God and the church, right? Right. And okay. 
And so uh, why does one on one equal two? And the answer is because God wanted it that way. Yeah. And if you argued with this, you know, you, did, you didn't argue with that. No. You, lo- you lost a hand. That's it, or some part, some body part, those two fingers. And um, so, but then the Enlightenment shows up and following the Black Death, I've always thought this was the key to this was, you know, after the Black Death subsided, you know, in the 1400s, people kind of went, well, I wonder if God was starting to kill us off. I wonder how good God can be. And we didn't die and the apocalypse didn't happen. And, 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 and. And of course, everybody's uh, economic status improved dramatically. Yeah, yeah. Because there was, they had built the production capacity for everybody in Europe in 1350. And by 1450, there were like a third fewer people. Yeah. And so everybody's standard of living went up. They invented underwear because they had excess cloth production capabilities. All right. So everything got better. The Enlightenment shows up. People go, well, maybe we don't need God to make this stuff work. And so what happens in the meantime, of course, is. <clears throat> rationality moves in. We can reason the this out ourselves. The age of reason. But the reasoning that they, that they put on the throne was just another substitute for the, for the G.O.D. Mm-hmm. It was. And it's like that, that rationality is like became an authority. And it's like, but rationality- de- Yeah, they deified reason. They deified reason. That's my take on this, yeah. That's what happened. Ain't disagreeing with you. And I'm not talking about, and and Chris, I'm not talking about like just thinking things through carefully. Right. There's this sort of belief that rationality was this disembodied thing that was not affected by the world we live in on the way to getting to where it was. Yeah. And that's, it's this Cartesian, you know, uh, separate, transcendent rationality is the problem. That's when we start seeing treatments of reason um, in art. As a standalone goddess. Oh, you know, I, you I know? look at those, I look yeah. at Donatello and like the Brunelleschis, you know, the pictures of the, the, uh, the checkerboard squares in, you know, in, in, yep. the, in Renaissance art. And this is rationality imposing itself on the visual field. You can oh, actually order. Yeah. order. So, so yeah, you just, you just brought up Descartes and, and that's where I was kind of headed with my mm. question and why I was sort of frowning and, mm. and making muttering noises. Is oh, by the way, listeners, he was frowning and making muttering noises. Mutter, I'll try mutter. to amplify them in the rhubarb, mix. Rhubarb, 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 <laughs> rhubarb, mutter, mutter. Um, <laughs> so, to some degree, the sense I had is that reason became almost an apologia for God in the sense of coming back to Descartes and the Cartesian sort of worldview. Mm-hmm. If the universe is a great clockwork, yeah, yeah. You know, there has to be a clockmaker. Well, yeah, but that we replaced God in that role. The clockmaker argument, by the way, is William Paley, and that that actually didn't happen until the 19th century. Yeah, weirdly enough, because mm. they were trying to restore God to the order of things. But mm-hmm. this idea that there's something innate in us, right? That's that's not caught up in getting dirtied by the physical universe, right? Right. It's this transcendent thing. That's what Descartes characterized. Yeah, an, an immutable truth. That right? thing. Well, it's almost like it's it's like your soul is separate from your body and not subject to the laws of time and space. As time went on, of course, and, and as rationality kind of started working out things in the world around us, the other reason what reinforced this idea that rationality had to be uh, it's the other phrase for this typically is the Newtonian observer. Right. And so Newton mm-hmm. had this idea that you could stand kind of outside of the universe and to take a, a, a to take account of it, because if you were in the universe, the 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 flux of cause and effect, you know, that can affect your rationality, and we can't have that. 
And it was like, well, man, that happens to me all the damn time. You know, I walk, <laughs> I'm perfectly rational about what I should be eating, but man, I walk by the potato chip aisle at Costco and it's like <laughs> rationality goes offline. Don't look, don't look to my life. <laughs> kettle chips. It's the kettle chips. Kettle chips for life. Oh, man. this this begs an interesting question to me that that is it possible to objectively observe something without polluting the observation with interpretation. Awesome. That's the question, dude. That is and you wind up with two things in this regard then. You wind up with this this one idea like like uh, Giordano Bruno had where the soul is in the body because really mm. all this was throughout uh, for you know up up until the late uh, 19th century was this search for the soul um, and the seat of the soul and you know Bruno said <laughs> the body is actually the is soul the, the soul. body is yeah. the vessel yeah. of the soul but not just the vessel as in holding it is the soul this the is soul why they burned him from there the body in the, in yeah, the that's exactly the why they're like. Really? You like your soul? Let's light it on fire. <laughs> yeah. um, but then the other thing, Chris, like you just mentioned, this winds up being, you know, you start getting into the quantum realm of things and, you know, double slit experiment. And are you affecting the observe? Are you affecting the thing in question by the observing phenomena? It yeah. By the, yeah. Versus are you part of that? There's this idea of, right. you know, uh, a photon goes through two slits and does its thing. Right. If you observe it, it's different. Then you've got people asking, well, those are two different circumstances. One circumstance <laughs> is a photon doing its thing on its own. And then the other circumstance, an intrinsically different thing, is the system of the three things. The mm -hmm. photon, the slits, and, the and you, the observer. They're inherently different than the other one. Well, and in my question, yes, you're, I, I mean, Boy, I'm we are a long I'm, way off from Ikea, aren't we? Well, actually, I'm, now uh, that I think of it, maybe we're going to get <laughs> we could quantum be. Ikea instructions. Think oh, about there it. You go. Think about it. But yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm right on board with you. I mean, I'm, I'm following along on, on observation affecting the phenomena, but the heart of my question is, are you able to dispassionately and objectively observe a phenomena correctly? Right. Be uh, hang on one second. I've Chris's ass is ringing wow. people. How does he do and, that? Uh, it's just a reminder going off. They never um, come up. Chris's uh, ass is reminding him of something. So, Chris, let me answer this. Yeah. So there's, there's two answers to this question. There's the officially sanctioned answer of Western civilization. And that answer is absolutely. You can discern the objective reality about the world using rational processes. That's the, that's the official answer. The real answer, of course, is like, no, all observation is interpretation. Has to be. Yeah. And, now, and, yeah. and it's like, that should be because like- Because we're looking through lenses and filters for, uh, that, that, that are put into place by pr previous experience. Your parents, your culture, your biological dispositions. It's like, of All course of you are. Now, the of course you are. scientists who did the experiment first. The, the zip code you grew up in. My God, yeah. yes, that's good. And, and so this is like the zip code theory of, of, of hermeneutics. Oh, I love this. Okay. So, <laughs> Thank you. It's one of my favorite baby. words. Oh, this is- I, this, I, oh, I, no, I, I, Zip code, I, it's I, hermeneutics. I want yeah. a footnote. Let me write that down. <laughs> I, I want a footnote credit on that. You got it. You got it. Hermeneutics. You, you've earned something I haven't yet. <laughs> oh, it's it'll, it's all in there. You guys are going to get footnoted up. I, I decided, yeah. you know, that these books I'm writing are going to be more Malcolm Gladwell than academic. 
Oh, good. Yeah, so I'm fuck on it, man. I'm, I'm just like, I'm tired of this. Well, yeah, but so, but this is why, Chris, it's like, there's a lot of people. It's not like you have a career to protect anymore. Ever. Just, I never had a career to right. protect. No. Yeah, well, no, I had, a, I had a life that I got to enjoy. It's, that was the difference there we go. between That's me. That's a whole different discussion. That's a difference yeah. between me yeah. and a lot of my academic colleagues, I think. Well, um, so um, this idea that there's this disembodied reason that keeps you at a safe distance from the world. Uh, it's really fascinating. It was like, I, so- this is a real home to me because I actually have an article about this in the Olive Minerva back around 1996 on practical Ooh, and theoretical knowledge. Back. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Hegel actually talks about this and like the most commonsensical ways imaginable where he says that he says that when you think about things, theor- we think we like to think about things theoretically and we like to think about things in a practical way. And when we do it theoretically, theory, he says, theory doesn't want to touch things except in thought because it doesn't want to disturb the truth of them. Yeah. And then he makes this hilarious joke. This is actually the title of one of the original articles I wrote, which is called Animals Eating Empiricists. He says that <laughs> he says that animals are actually more realistic than philosophers are because when when philosophers and scientists confront an object in front of them, they grant to the object a kind of inviolable objectivity, right? Which can only mm-hmm. be penetrated with thought. He says Animals don't operate under this at all. Animals see something and they just jump on it and eat it. <laughs> which was pretty funny. That's what I from it. Which was pretty funny in 1806, I guess. So, uh, well, actually, it's 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 funny you should mention that. Does this get at sort of um, what you're talking about, though? It, it it does. And first of all, little footnote and and possible for a future topic, but. Um, what you're getting at is actually one of my big takeaways from having watched Don't Look Up, which is, man, the animals have it so much better. And we'll be getting to that. I promised that on a previous show. We'll get to it. I haven't seen yeah, it Yeah, let me come oh, back to the yeah, philosophy. You, I, you really want I to. I just want to open the door on that tangent. I don't yeah. want to go down it. All right. I'm um, shutting up. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, as as He saw the title as I of the sort podcast, of a, right? He saw that. <laughs> yes. That was Peterson jumping in on you, not me. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, ahead, Chris. Um, as as I uh, as I sort of chew on all of this and and think about it and and explore, you know, this sort of thought space. Right, the farther down the road I go into it, the more absurd I find the notion that we can that, that it is possible to be purely objective. Yeah. And 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 I think I think when we I think we're at some level aware of that, you know, in our nature because when we try to be objective what we're doing is we're ex- engaging in the exercise of trying to remove our biases from the observation, trying to remove I'm going to go I'm going to go even further than this. I'm going to say we're going to tr- we're trying to remove our bodies from interacting with the world. Yeah. I would go even further. And we, and, we, and, we, and we hate the idea that our bodies include our brains, which include our mind. Yeah. But I think you're right on to this, Chris. And, and by the way, just to make you even more unhappy and, and, and let you join me in my unhappiness, <laughs> this idea, which, which now, you know, you say it, it's like, oh, it's so great. Um, you know, every good idea I've ever had was already explored thoroughly by monks by 1300. And so true right. it is with this. And Kierkegaard yeah. especially, by the way, explored this question of subjectivity. Oh, yeah. And yeah. the only reason that this, you know, you have to go, well, what the, what the hell? The only reason all this stuff comes up is because there's a pre-existing condition, which is this 
pre-existing belief that absolute objectivity is even possible or or matters, right? Yeah. And yeah. and that's the you- that's the reason. And so you raise things like and I get into this with the postmodern my my friends who are postmodernists and post-structuralists and, and have hyphens in their in their Listeners, there was a, there was a professorial eye roll yeah, right? involved with that. Um, uh, uh, where they'll talk about it, it's like, well, you know, no objective truth is possible. Therefore, everything is purely subjective. And see, here's the thing. That's, that's not true either, right? Because it's like, I mean, we're talking to each other over the internet. The internet could not right. have been constructed on how you feel about things, right? There's math involved. <laughs> right. There's all sorts right. of objectively discernible properties. The difference is that that the, these objectively observable properties, which are grounded in what we think of as science, right, mm-hmm. are probabilistically based as opposed to absolute certainty. Uh, and the, interesting. And the, and the fact that it's like 99.97% likely which it, it is, yeah. that doesn't make it logically certain. And that's a qualitatively different kind of thing from... from. And maybe this is where we get to a, a platform for some kind of objectivity is, okay, I, I observe a phenomena in the world. Okay. And you observe the same phenomena. And, and uh, you, Mark, observe the phenomena. I am And right Andy, now, yes. you observe the phenomena. And then all three of us come together, we compare notes, right. and we look for the overlap. We look for the consistency. That's it. And that gives us an idea of, okay, this this we can agree on is the objective truth of this phenomena. But I think is that's, that, is that, that's how science works, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, you get, you get 30 on people- paper. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Theoretically, that's how theory works, you know? <laughs> right? You know, when you look at the difference, you know, theory works great in theory, right? So recursive. <laughs> but uh, that's we've gone all meta, and it's here. like recursive and meta. meta. And yeah. I, I will tell you the metaphor, and so I have a bias about how to understand what we're talking about, and that is that you know, um, when I was in college, I was really bad at math. And, you know, they made me take the the math for dummies class. And I, you know, I flunked out of calculus a couple of times and I ended up doing my math in statistics. And I, I I think Andy, Andy knows this because I usually used to talk about this all the time in class. I still do. Um, I loved statistics. I I think I got a minor in it because it was about something, right? Algebra wasn't about anything, but like stats. And it turns out later on too, this is interesting. This is how things work in real life. I had one of the great professors of my life, uh, Professor Ranishak. People still talk about this guy at, at, at South Alabama. The, one of the best professors I ever had taught statistics, if you can believe a thing like that. And you know, if you're going to teach wow. stats, you better be freaking good, right? <laughs> right. Well, and and math is definitely easier to get your arms around right. when it's well, got an, a real world external right. and reference. So here's the deal with here's the deal. so to to describe what you said mathematically, I always go back to statistical regression analysis, where you take all of these different points of view and you find a line that fits. And some of us mm-hmm. aren't going to agree perfectly with what it probably you know what the indication is. But over time, we're going to find out. And, and you know, we can argue about this all day, but the reality is, is like, that's how we figure stuff out. That's how we've always mm-hmm. figured stuff out. Yeah. And it, it reminds me. Of Which is very one of the great. I one, said. one of the greatest things that anybody ever taught me about statistics is on the other end of the internet cable to me here, because I remember when I was struggling so bad in stats and you t- took me aside and you said, Andrew, oh. stop thinking that statistics is about anything. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. It, it, 
Yeah, well, it worked. Yeah, I got a, I got a C plus. Yeah, you learn about I, I, it, well, you know, Ranishek. I would, what I always loved about Ranishek was, <laughs> when, when, I can still remember this so vividly. Um, one of the students was trying to figure out why. Uh, so we were take, talking about, and I, I'm going to go a little bit geeky here for just a heartbeat, but I, I love this. This really set a tone for my whole life. Uh, we were, we had just started to do uh, T tests in intro stats as opposed to Z tests, right? And with Z tests, this is sample sizes larger than 30 and T tests, sample sizes smaller than 30. Smaller. And some guy, and Ranishek was going on about, um, well, and of course with T tests, if with a sample size of only 15, if it's properly randomized and correlated through the proper equations, we can learn quite a lot about the, the population based on that sample. And some kid at the back had just lost it. <laughs> And he, he goes, he goes, this is the moment where he cracked. He just cracked. And he just went, wait, bullshit. <laughs> this was in class. <laughs> and Radishek was a fairly formal guy, but he didn't, he didn't, he didn't bat an eye. And he goes, well, here's what I mean. If we go to, in South Alabama, we were not allowed to have football in those days. We had, we had one of the great baseball teams in the, in the, uh, in the United States in those days. South Alabama, we had, we had uh, Stinky Stanky, Casey Stanky. Who had played on the St. Louis Gas House Gangs with Leo DeRocher was our coach, man. Anyway, okay. okay. He says, You go to the baseball game this weekend. There's 5,000 people there. You get a random sample of five people. You ask them to fill in a uh, questionnaire about anything. And from that sample of five, you can actually predict with relative, relative likelihood the degree to which everybody else in the audience is uh, of that 5,000 people will answer those questions. The kid goes, That doesn't make any damn sense. And, and Ranishek said, well, he says, it actually works out mathematically. And the kid says, well, how could that possibly be the truth? And so here's what Ranishek said. He goes, because T-tests are robust with regard to sample size. And the kid says, what the fuck does that mean? And Ranishek <laughs> said, it means that the principle of robustness applies. Now the kid goes, wait, what? <laughs> Bro, poor bastard. Robustness? What in the hell? What are you talking about? And Ranishek goes, this is a very good question. You deadly see it. He is completely deadpan. This is a very good question. He says, in order for me to answer this question in a way that you can understand it, you must first complete your undergraduate degree in mathematics with an emphasis in <laughs> statistics and then enroll in a good graduate program in statistics during which you will take a full complement of courses during the first two years of your master's degree, and then in the first year of your PhD program, assuming you pass your comprehensive exams, you will take two classes. The first one is called Robustness 1, and the second one is called <laughs> Robustness 2. And after you've had those classes, you'll understand my answer to your question. And there's this long pause. <laughs> and, and everybody's like dumbfounded. And the kid finally goes, do we need to know this for the test? <laughs> <laughs> and Ranishek says, and this is the beauty of this. This is this is the moment, right? This answers your question, Chris. R Ranishek says, no, you don't need to know this for the test. You don't need to know why statistics works. You just need to know how to make it work. Yeah. And it was like everybody in the class just went, Oh, that's, that, yeah, that's a light bulb We can moment. do that. And Ranishek said, yeah. yes, you can. And this is why that guy was a fucking brilliant professor. Uh, one of, that's, one that's, of the best I ever had. That is good. And it's a good place to take a break. Oh, and if I could, 
can I can I circle Apparently back just it's not really good, quick? Not, not it's yet. not a good not place yet, to take yet. a break. Yeah, this is very short. Uh, I just want to circle <laughs> back and pose the question. <laughs> it did. Did we just make the case that reality is indeed subject to popular opinion? Nope. No. Okay. <laughs> because that's what it sounded like to me no uh our understanding of reality might be yeah okay and don't make me bring up euclidean versus platonic solids because that's a whole different segment (laughs) we'll be right back on the narrow band broadcast network i'm andrew that's dr mark yes that is the ever questioning chris and we'll be back in just a minute those are more questions chris they were yeah Yeah, i know that that, that turned into something it's really happened for us Hey everybody, it's Andrew from the KYHO Podcast. Just here with my hat in my hand, hoping that you're going to help us out. Do us a favor, hit like, click, subscribe, whatever we like you options there are on the device that you're listening on right now, and support the podcast for free. If you got a few extra bucks and you're enjoying the show, do us a favor and support the podcast with your money. You can just head over to patreon.com forward slash nbbn and throw us a couple bucks. Maybe buy us a coffee. Anyways, we're glad that you're here, and we're glad that you're listening. And remember, keep your hat on, because we may end up miles from here. All right, back to the show. And we're back for what appears to be the final segment of this episode of Keep Your Hat On. (laughs) We're, uh, we're, it's a loosey goosey, uh, experience Who's here Lucy today. Goosey, by the way. Do we know? Right? Do we know? We don't know. No, I, I've never met. Don't know. I'm, I, no. But, uh, I'm Andrew, of course, with Dr. Mark and Chris. Mm. And Dr. Mark is, uh, joining us again oh, for the first time in two episodes. He's missed all. The, what do you mean? Thank goodness you haven't been here for no, two episodes. It's, like, it's nice <laughs> to take a breather from. Uh, so, and, and what Andy's referring to, of course, is that I'm I am relocating from the lovely and beautiful West Bend home of the toaster oven and the air pop popcorn maker. That's right. I'm relocating to uh, to uh, the east side of Milwaukee, which is sort of close the to the lake. City. The big oh, city. Oh man, you you missed an absolute golden opportunity. Moving on up. To the east side. Oh, I guess so. Yeah. Except the east side, the east side of Harlem is not the same as the east side of Milwaukee. No, no. <laughs> there's a, a slight uh, difference in spectrum. Yeah, a little bit. If you cross the river, if you get over the river thing. west, if you cross the river, it it, uh, it turns back into a real American city. But in the meantime, yeah. I'm going to be living uh, about five blocks from the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee. That's going to make a great commute. And for yeah, well, for for the uh, significant other who will who works yeah. at the film school there, she has about a five block commute now, and I'll have a about 40 minutes back out here to uh, best went on a on a good day um, um there's there's sneaky routes what's i-94 been like lately um, so you don't do that anymore uh the no? sneaky route out of downtown is you 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 snake over to fond du lac avenue which is 145 uh, and then zip yeah zap, you baby. go past you go past my house that's right my old yeah, house. i'll honk when i do that I, yeah but so I, the, I, you I, know the big I, excitement has been we've been <laughs> we've been uh so the thing about being involved with somebody who is involved in film production uh, technology. Uh, oh yeah, and, and film, uh, note 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 to you, Chris. And, yeah, Alex is in I'm, film production. I'm, my, 
My ears are perking yeah, up. Our, bo- our, bo- our boy is in is working towards film school. Oh, sweet. So, well, so well, yeah. it turns out the Peck School at the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee was just re ranked again in like one of the top film schools in the world. Believe it or not. So it's true. Anyway, the thing about living with somebody who does who teaches editing professionally is that everything has to look right. <laughs> Hey, that's why I was really pleased when uh, Alex and watching our old video series uh, went, oh, you know, the edits are really good. She was, she liked your, (laughs) that with the production. She was all about that, dude. Yeah. So she, and it's like, it's, you know, people say it's like, oh, I I will tell you, I don't know. I don't want to speak out of school so much, but actually I'll save that story for another time. Um, no, I'll save it now. Um, uh, we ran yeah, into, you're not going to remember. No, I it. won't remember. We ran into, we were out furniture shopping and we ran into this guy and, um, his family, they were shopping for, uh, their daughter for an apartment they wanted to furnish in, in Greenwich village. So I'm thinking, Ooh. oh money. Well, anyway, I get to talking to this guy and we're just chatting. And I, I, he said, yeah, I'm just moving back to Milwaukee. I've been away a long time and I've been running restaurants in Vegas and I'm coming back to Milwaukee to take over sort of some family businesses we had here. I said, well, that sounds great. And he was talking to say, well, you know, and we've always tried to, you know, up our, we've had to, you know, with the COVID and stuff and the, and the epidemic, we've had to kind of up our service to people uh, in order to keep our customers happy. I was just going to say, what does that mean? Not infect them? What he means, what he means is like uh, improve the service. He's been hiring yeah. like jazz trios and stuff to play in the restaurants. And I said, you know, this is a brilliant idea. I said, in fact, um, the people who do that really best here in town, I guess you probably already run into them, are the Alarabras. And Andy remembered the Alarabras in, in uh, Milwaukee. And they have these, they have a series of really first rate, I mean, really awesome restaurants. The kind of restaurant where you go and you go, I don't care how much it costs, it's just that good, right? Yeah. And the guy says, thank you very much, that's us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Paul, Paul Bell. Well, anyway, I don't remember where I was even going with this, except Alex was in the room at the time. Oh, he says, um, he so he talks, he's talking to Alex about getting some of her interns to produce, to create restaurant instructional videos. Oh. And it's like, yeah, which is, sounds great, except Alex's, Alex's students usually in, end up interning for like Spielberg and stuff. Yeah, right. Oh, so it's like mm. no, I've I've done a bunch of uh, voiceovers for uh, oh for I, restaurant I, stuff and things. Yeah, I worked for oh I worked for a company in South Africa that did training videos yeah. for hospitality and food service. Anyway, I think it might and be prudent if we if we delete my comments about Mr. Alarabada. I think we probably will. I'll blank, I'll blank, blank out, out the name. So anyway, okay. Yeah. So but the the important so let's let's that we can spool this back. The important thing about living with somebody who is a film editor is that everything has to look right. And that includes the floors. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> and, right. And, you know, I was kind of iffy about this until she started showing me examples. And I realized that I was a complete idiot about this kind of thing. And, you know, when you get into these relationships, it's really important to find out what each of you are really good at and to recognize one's own <laughs> limitations. And when to hand it off and so to I the did. other yeah. and and, uh, and the floors are beautiful. And, and so that's coming up. And so now that the floors are done, now we can actually start getting moved in and well, stuff. Well, the thing is, the flo- floors are way more important than anybody thinks. If you think about it, you look at those damn things. All the time. You can you can do something about your walls. You can do something about your oh, furniture. That's good, Andy. But honestly, unless yeah. you're talking about just slapping down a bunch of rugs, 
you're going to be looking at that every day for the time that you spend alive in that box. Exactly. So, and so Alex. And so I'll back Alex. Oh, no. This. And so she even says, she goes, you know, we got this thing finally figured out. We lucked out because now because of the supply chain stuff, the normal sources that we were looking at were like, well, we can get you those floors in 12 weeks. It's like, no, 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 no. No, I'll just go buy plywood. Um, which will be expensive as hell now, right? It's like $65 oh a sheet. Okay. So, right. But anyway, we found a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy, and it turned out there was a-, a Oh, all good things there's, happen. There's a wonderful local Wisconsin-based company out in Heartland, Wisconsin. Oh, beautiful Heartland. Who had contacts- Heartland of Heartland. Yeah, who had contacts with some mill in Maine. <laughs> and, and they said, oh yeah, we got that. When, how much do you need? And, and can we get it here by Monday? I was like, yes, okay. Um, so we did. And so Alex managed all this beautifully. But then what I, she was apologizing. She goes, you know, I'm sorry I obsess so much about flooring. And then I realized that I was thinking of the meta- metaphor. It's like, this is the flooring that our, my new relationship is going to live on. And we better get a good floor. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, it's a little heavy handed. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? It's, it's a great, <laughs> well, it's a great way to think about it. And, you know, coming from my, you know, my background, my, my, First year in college mm. was architecture. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was studying architecture. And, you know, as, as you guys were discussing this, uh, you know, one observation about floors, it actually is really important to be attentive to floors because oh, yeah. aside from bedtime, your floor is the one part of your house that you are in constant physical contact yeah. with. Physical exactly. contact. This, you know, Andy yeah. said something to me, was, which I really liked um, when we were talking about this a week or two ago, a couple of weeks ago. And it's uh, like, yeah, I've been in on the whole floor yeah, adventure and, from the time the boxes. And you made this great. Up. Yeah, the, we have like three boxes left over. I'm thinking about making benches out of this stuff. It was the most beautiful. Sure. It was the most beautiful maple I've ever it's seen. Good material, awesome. man. Um, Andy made this great observation, uh, which was that your feet can tell. Yeah. Like, yes. And they can yeah. think about it. Yeah, that's what you were saying, Chris. It's like, yeah, and you know they can. And it's like well, I live and, on the floor, and it's so. part of yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. You, uh, you, you're not pressed up against a wall in your house. You're, <laughs> you're, right, you're not pressed it? up against the <laughs> ceiling, but you constantly make, f- and so that is your connection to yeah, the house. I like it. And the and yeah. and the, and the think think about it. I mean, we can all we can all think to an experience where we walked on a cheap floor, a laminate, yeah. uh, you know, a composite material thing. And you, there's a, there's a weird give to it yeah. and it doesn't, mm-hmm. but then when you're walking on real hardwood, yeah. real good, well-made hardwood floors, there's a feeling of stability that comes from it. There's a feeling of contact, uh, oddly enough, there's a feeling with contact of nature. Yeah. The, and don't even yeah. get me started about the smell. The quality of this mm-hmm. stuff was breathtaking, by the way. And this is like from my construction days. It was like the new machining and stuff they have in the factory. This is factory finished, by the way. Right. So right. it was like sweet every way from Sunday. But, um, you know, what was fascinating about this too, you're talking about like the engineered or veneered and stuff. We looked at all that. Yeah. The This is three quarter inch hardwood maple. Good. And- it didn't cost any more. No. And it was like, why yeah. would anybody not get this? It's like, hmm. Not enough people. It went in like a dream. It took, it, it took people like, it took my, it took the crew like three days to do 1600 square feet of this stuff. And it's, there's nothing more gratifying than watching a good flooring. Crew. Oh, those guys were, they oh, were sweet. Oh man. It's yeah, just, yeah. 
and you just like you're I, not even fetishing the tools or anything. You're just going. <laughs> you guys are just the shit. Yeah, you I can see these guys. You, this is all you do. I went over everything. Yeah. Alex, of course, it went over everything with a fine toothed comb, and uh, right, they did a great job. That's true. Awesome. That's true. Well, and one final observation about floors, and this is uh, this is from my own experience as a homeowner of multiple different houses, um, is floors have a have a real personality to them and oh, a uniqueness to them. Yeah, there's that squeaky spot where it wasn't <laughs> laid just right, or where uh, the boards have aged and separated yeah. just a little bit, or and. But that's part of the and and you walk across that and if you don't hear the squeak you feel like something's wrong. Yeah. It becomes yeah. part of your relationship with that. No, house. you're absolutely and right. That Floors have a distinct character. I will to I will them. tell you guys. I actually this house which I have loved. I've been so grateful to live in this wonderful house. I live in this sort of grandma 1920s era bungalow, right? Yeah. And when we when we looked at this place the first time, we were in one of the back rooms and the whole place was covered with this like horrible brown shag. These are people who didn't even <laughs> go with like amber or avocado. It was like brown shag. There's a lot of history and uh, DNA. A lot of pain. A lot of pain yeah. uh, seemed to have... Anyway, we went to one of the back rooms and, we, and, and uh, my, my former wife peeled up the carpet and we looked... And it was it's it was the you know the fan, standard issue two and a quarter inch uh, maple. Every other yeah. board in this house is bird's eye or tiger stripe maple. And we thought we could just sell the floors for veneer and pay off the. Mortgage. I was going to say, you know, Mark, <laughs> yeah, instead no of, you'd probably make more money raising the house. I know, and, and just selling, selling the floors, all the hard. I know, I know. It's it's the most beautiful stuff, and it was probably harvested in 1910, right, and then milled yeah. out in the early 20s. And it's like, but anyway, you know, that's how you know floors. You're right, Chris. Like this is like you live on it. Uh, it's there with you all day. So I finally got the flooring done, and now I'm now I should be accessible again to do things that are not involved with moving, which happens a week from Wednesday. Ah, uh, okay. We'll keep that in mind. You should have enough elbow room uh, to, uh, before the next episode to get yourself in and get settled. But um, how's the bed disassembly coming? So I have a couple. Of, I have a. I have a couple of because I bought this house when I was still in my. 30s and 40s, right? Uh, a young Broke. man yeah. uh, uh, of limited uh, means. I have a lot of IKEA furniture, which I've been told <laughs> will not happen in the next iteration. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> that law got laid down. We're right 60 fast. years old now, and it's like, oh, wait, we could. I love IKEA, by the way. But anyway, okay. So here's the deal: it's like, um, but I didn't want to throw them out because nowadays it's like it's really hard to give away stuff. Um. Uh, Habit Where do you live? No, no, Habitat and um, Goodwill. Oh, you mean legitimate? You mean legitimately? Oh, as opposed to just putting it up to... on Craigslist. Oh, yeah, no, I'm talking yeah, about like right. I was just going to say you're talking to the wrong. I just had somebody haul away a washer and dryer. Oh, no, I got to do that later on this week. Yeah, I got to do the washer and dryer later this week. But um, but Habitat and Goodwill will not take like mattresses or or stuff. Yeah. There. Or any or right. couches or any furniture that's had pretty pets. much anything that a bed bug could possibly like get into. So, I, but I have a friend of a friend who's uh, one. Actually, one of my friends has a brother who just bought a bunch of duplexes as a young man, which is like awesome. And I said, oh, would, so be able to at least stage them, if not throw oh, some. Exactly right. I said, would you them? like yeah. some old IKEA? And it was like hell. You know, he's like twenty. It was like, oh yes, please. So I said, okay. Well, now the deal is you have to take them apart, and it's like weirdly enough. 
I can't believe this. I actually saved the right Allen wrench. <laughs> oh, but not, but not really an Allen this wrench? This is like Allen 20 years yeah. ago. This is like from 20, these are 20 year old bed frames from Ikea. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And it's like. Yeah. See, and I would immediately make the mistake of getting my impact wrench and just a, going a spax, for it, baby. A bit. Yeah. And yeah, and just strip that well, tinfoil screw tempting, right out. Very tempting. It the in, it, the really interesting thing about IKEA, and and I'm speaking from lots and lots. I think of a lot of us have had that. The, a lot of experience is, is taking it apart and putting it back together. It never goes back. Chalk together and cheese, quite man. The same. Oh, interesting. So different experience. I don't think I've ever done that. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons why is because. Ikea, and we're not going to go deep into the history of Ikea, it's (laughs) long and storied and complicated, but one of the things that I found interesting from an industrial slash interior design point of view is that, you know, number one, everything from Ikea, generally speaking, is made to be flat pack. That's the whole concept, yeah. That's that's what they, that's what their bread and butter is. What's butter in Swedish? S'more. Yeah, so bread and schmore. I should, that by the way, I should just say that I have mm. been in the original IKEA, the OG IKEA outside, oh. outside of Stockholm. There. Yeah, as a child yeah. when I lived in Uppsala. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, why yeah. putting a different spin on the idea of Stockholm? Yeah, see, yeah, but um, you know, the flat pack aspect. But the other aspect is that the vast majority of things that you buy from IKEA and you have to assemble. They are not solid until the very last <laughs> so true. screw is turned in yeah. because right. everything is self-tensioning yeah. in an yeah. Ikea design. And the design. tolerances are like breathtakingly accurate, right? I mean, that's that's yep. a killer. Yep. They can be. Yeah. The only thing that they still haven't really figured out is their combo, you know, because their screws aren't really normally screws. They're uh, screws with a keyhole uh, in them uh, sometimes, to grab yeah. onto that weird little pin that's going in from that, the other way. And yeah, that's the barrel what, connectors. Yeah, the barrel yeah. connectors, yeah. and then it tensions the whole thing together. Yeah, it's true. The the one thing if people want to make their IKEA assembly experience better, more efficient, and just a little bit easier, and you want to know that that thing is going to stay together, <laughs> just when you put that screw in there. Put a little bit of wood glue on it, just a little bit, not a lot. Uh-huh. It acts like Loctite because the problem with those barrel screws that 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 go into those actual threaded screws is with vibration, because they're the the catch is on an angle, they'll back out. So all you got to do, and I mean, you don't want to fuse the thing together forever. A little bit of wood glue on that screw will hold it in place, and when you do have to disassemble it, you can break through that glue pretty so easy. So I've been on mute and chuckling because did you actually just use the phrase IKEA assembly experience? Did you really just say that? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> I was thinking about, you made me think about, we were talking about that this before. That does sound very, it does sound like I was really carrying the brand forward, didn't it? <laughs> The whole corporate you reminded IKEA me thing. We should look to see if it's still available online. I remember years ago seeing a set of YouTube videos, right? Where they yeah, gave, we were talking about this earlier. Where they gave this couple uh, LSD and had them assemble IKEA furniture. <laughs> oh, it's so much it fun! They did priceless. a series. Oh my they did God, a series of they did yep. a series of that. The LSD people got completely and utterly confused. It was beautiful. Oh hand. my God, it was beautiful. The mushroom people just were completely overwhelmed <laughs> by the whole experience. <laughs> and 
the cannabis people would just kind of sat back and looked at this pile of stuff <laughs> and went, do you feel like doing anything about it? <laughs> Ikea is a very interesting experience. I actually uh, make quite a mention of Ikea in the, in the book that I wrote that's coming out. Um, and, and really the thing that I take away from most Ikea experiences is the idea of instruction obstruction. Oh, most people who've ever assembled an Ikea piece of whatever know that those instructions are both the most important thing in the room <laughs> and completely useless. I love the figure of the human that's always looking at things and trying to make that's, sense. Guy. That's yep. funny. With and the, nose, the thing right? is it's like, hello. Yeah. With my, with the book, I, I wanted, I made reference <laughs> to that guy oh. and I knew that I couldn't get away with including the picture of oh, the guy. Yeah, probably copyrighted. And so I, you know, totally. And yeah, I, I, I want to piss off Ikea. Like I want to no, piss off. Yeah. I don't want to do that. No. Um, and so I had Chris re-render him to look similar, but slightly different. Yeah, sufficient and for Chris, Chris made it made a perfect enough he, to pass he nailed it. That's he, awesome. He nailed yeah. it. That's but. awesome. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what. I'm going to interject something. You know, just basically my thing on IKEA, since this is going to be an IKEA thing. One, I've never been in an IKEA store. Wow, never been in one of those IKEA stores. Never. Nope. Ever. How are you living in the 21st century uh, and have have successfully avoided have that? I don't they know. They have meatballs. Oh, Swedish meatballs, little fish, this cool Insane. fruity drink. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, Andy, you- uh, Chris when, has when, swallowed the Kool-Aid, apparently. Man, apparently when so. Swedish for Kool-Aid. When 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 uh when things are when things are safe, we have got to kidnap Ty and pop his IKEA cherry. I am not so, doing that to him. I, I like am. my friend. <laughs> I, I'm telling you right now, I have I have set up uh, IKEA furniture before. Generally, pretty easy. Of course, I have a mind of I can look at something and be able to visualize how it put it goes together without relying too heavily on the destructions. Yeah, but you've also got a magic power of being able to fuck up anything simply by walking away and counting on it still working. <laughs> well, and that's <laughs> sorry, didn't mean to pull the curtain back. Um, you can edit this out, Andy. I'm not <laughs> going to. <laughs> this is comedy gold. Oh, this, is, my this is a big fuck you moment to Andy, folks. <laughs> Anyways, if you can only yeah. see what I'm doing right now. Yeah, well, he's cleaning his uh, backside. Is at any rate, car- at any rate, I'm putting it together. The, very little usable functionability or or uh, utility at all, I find. I think this, these things look really great, and I think that's what they're meant to do. Their pieces of furniture are supposed to look aesthetically good. Function is an afterthought at best. Um, anything that I've ever gotten from Ikea and put together has been within, and granted, I don't play easy with my toys, but has been needing to leave the house uh, in a pile of rubble, um, at least six months and no more than six months after I've put it together. It what's just, ver- what's interesting is something, oh, what yeah, you brought up is something that I, I will, I will piggyback on. And that is the, the utility of the design of the thing as intended is not what you count on. There's a whole culture of Ikea hacks where somebody finds a much 
better use of an Ikea thing <laughs> for some completely for? desperate odd yeah, shit up in the backyard. Else <laughs> oh, well, no, not, not so much that, but like, yeah, no, uh, yeah, an Ikea cabinet it gets repurposed as a, sh- a shoe starter. My it, first shoe, my first sound booth, when I built my very first actual sound booth, it was out of Ikea bookcases. Oh, and, and I put, I put, um, four casters under one and then I hinged it to a post in my, in the, in the room that I was in. And I, I, you could literally, it was just, it looked like a corner full of bookcases in the room until you walked up to it, grabbed one bookcase and pulled it out. And that was the door to get in. And I lined the whole thing with felt and, and material it worked a champ. Wasn't particularly good at holding up books. Uh, most of the shelves had fallen, but you know, whatever. You know, right. when I think of Ikea furniture, I think of, uh, I'm a real estate agent. I want to make that open house look really oh, good. Staging. Uh, yeah. so staging I'm just going to stage this stuff in here and this is going to be the model house, but don't pull the book from the bookshelf because it will fall apart. <laughs> I got to say, though, the one thing that Ikea does make that's awesome is I, I'm a fan meatballs? of their bookcases. No, their meatballs are terrible. Okay. Um, I'm a fan of their bookcases. Everything that y'all here see is Ikea in, in this space. So when is the actual, the actual move date is a week from Wednesday. A week from a Wednesday. Week from I got Wednesday. Uh, I got I got an unnamed uh, company with two guys in a truck who will be uh, showing up and then I will remove all of my stuff from here. And it's fun doing this downsizing thing. It's like uh, um, people who are sort of like uh, late boomers like I am <clears throat> in, the late, in the late boomer category. Uh, everybody my age right now is complaining about their parents mm. who are in their 80s and 90s. And their parents haven't downsized or done anything. And now it's left to everybody. This is really this sort of, well, actually, I guess I'm going to go 50 years old and up uh, is having to relocate their parents. Yeah, I know it's you guys too. So well, the, the, fortunately, I don't have to relocate my the, yeah, parents. Yeah, the Xers are having the same thing pick, happen. Pick the ash can up from here and set it over well, there. Yeah. But so it's like, you know, I'm downsizing a lot of stuff now that I don't need and that's going to go to nephews and nieces and all the rest of that jazz. So yeah. once I get all this out, then the, then it's just going to be the I junk, I got junk people and, uh, you know, goodwill and habitat for humanity. They're just going to take everything else that's left in here. Then I clean it and then it goes up for sale. There you go. Nice. nice. Well, absolute best of luck on that. Well, listen, folks, that's pretty much what we've got is a mixed bag of what the fuck are you yeah, guys talking what about now? Talking about? But uh, we will be back next time on Keep Your Hat On for Dr. Mark and Chris and Ty. Ciao. (laughs) I'm Andrew Scott, and we will talk to you again really soon. And remember, keep your hat on. We may end up miles from here. Take care, folks. We'll talk to you again soon. Stay safe, wear your mask, get your boosters, and we'll talk to you again. Well, there's a chunk of time you can't get back. From Portland, Oregon, this has been Keep Your Hat On, a big little show about a whole lot of nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is a narrowband broadcast network production in association with PodSquadPDX.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Robert Anthony and Chris Vacano, associate producers. Our theme music was written and produced by Andrew Scott, along with help from Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative, Chris Vacano Webmaster. Available at VacanoCreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott. Available at AndrewScottMedia.com. 
Got ideas or comments for the show? Email us at talkback at kyhopodcast.com and don't forget to like, click, and subscribe. On behalf of the boys, I'm your announcer, Michael Brumage. Thanks for listening. I guess. There, Ty, you can go. We got your yep. segment. Yep, that's <laughs> um, that's good. Just fly me in on, on the rest of the conversation. and I will do. I'll that. try to make sure that it's got like sound effects for magical sprinkles or something <laughs> like that. NBBN. The Narrow Band Broadcast Network. The focus is on you.